Um, the hotel breakfast was able to keep up with the reproductive habits of the Bereans, so we're happy about that. <laughs> I have five kids. And it was, we did some cat herding this morning. And I'm feeling, feeling that. And um, my heart is probably the most unruly cat of all of them. Really, I'm serious about that. So I just want to ask Lord to help in just a moment here. And um, that was a great song to lead in. I have nothing without you. And um, so let's pray and ask God's help. Lord, we thank you that you put your treasure in jars of clay. And that's what I want to be today, Lord. I want your, the diamond of your gospel to shine through, the diamond of your glory to shine through. I want your beautiful plan and vision for the church to shine through. And it would enthrall our hearts, God, that you call us to be part of it. Um, you call us not to work for you, but to work with you. And so right now, Spirit, I need your help. I want to walk with you. I want you to take my words and, and translate them to the needs of the hearts in this room. And we ask that Jesus' glory would be made great. Amen. Amen. Um, so my hope this morning as we go through Ephesians 2 here in a moment is that you will just be renewed in God's huge vision for the church because it seems like you put your head down and you work and you put out fires and after a while, you lose the passion or you lose the vision, especially, because I think the passion flows from the vision of what God's wanting to do on a cosmic scale, as whoever's preaching at Freezing 3 tomorrow, who's that, Matt, I think? <laughs> the cosmic scale of the church being used to proclaim God's glory to the principalities, as it says in Ephesians 3. Wow. And then there's my cat heart, right? My unruly cat heart that the Lord has to herd. And, uh, and then he calls me to somehow be an under-shepherd with other sheep. And um, so we need a fresh vision from Ephesians 2 of, of the Lord's vision for the church. So I actually want to start um, with a verse in, are we on? Yeah, we're on. Uh, from Genesis 1.27, a verse many of you are familiar with. Genesis 1 and verse 27, a purpose statement at the very beginning of the creation story. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So no, a good story is always driven by conflict. And the story of the Bible, in some ways, is a conflict over this statement right here, because, as you know, we, our first fathers and mothers rejected this purpose statement. And in a moment, I want to define for us, just real quickly, what the image of God is. I know you can talk about that for days, but I just want to, for our purpose, I want to uh, define it real briefly, what the image of God is. Confusion over the image of God, confusion over our purpose, confusion over why we exist, will then trickle down into confusion as to why the church exists. So, I'm going to define image of God this way, someone who represents God and reflects who he is. So Adam and Eve and you and I were intended to represent God and, and intended to reflect who he is. Sort of like the sun has, shines forth its glory and we, you and I were created to be like 
the moon. We don't have glory in and of ourselves, and yet we were created to reflect the glory of the sun. So that's the original purpose statement for Adam and Eve. To be in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. All people are created in the image of God. It's a broken image, as you're aware, because of the fall and its after effects. But we were created to represent God and reflect who he is. But that's not just an individualistic thing, okay? There's a really important verse in chapter 2 of Genesis where the Lord says, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, most of you are familiar with that, and most of you only apply it to marriage. It's a bigger statement than that. Now, it obviously applies to marriage, but it's bigger than that. God didn't create lone Western, lone ranger Christians. God didn't create us to be lone rangers, period. Before the fall, Adam needed nothing. Well, he needed the Lord, but he also needed companionship. He was created not just to be by himself. He was created to be in relationship. So, humans are not just created to reflect God's glory individually, but we're created to reflect the glory of God in community. So, we're in the image of God, but it's not just me and God in relationship. I'm also created to reflect that relation. I'm created to reflect God's glory in a community. In fact, I would argue that as we come together, uh, we better reflect God's glory because I, by God's grace, I reflect certain parts of God's glory better than you, and you reflect certain parts of God's glory better than me, and then together we come together to reflect who God is to a watching world. Now, as you know, after the fall, humans still reflect God's glory, but the reflection the reflection is broken. It's like a mirror that's broken. And God, is, it still reflects who God is. That's why people who aren't Christians can still create amazing art and beautiful music because they can't help it. They're still in the image of God. They're still creating. They can still make beauty. But it's broken. So, how does that relate to the church? Well, first we need to define what salvation is, and it has to do with restoring the image. Salvation is God forgiving our rebellion. Salvation is God forgiving our rebellion and calling us back into relationship with him so that that we can reflect his glory to the world. So all of us are born into rebellion against the king of kings, All of us don't necessarily want to reflect God's glory. We may want to give some lip service to God, but we want the glory to come to us. That's rebellion. Of course, it started in the garden with Adam and Eve. They thought that by choosing, uh, by eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they thought that they would be better. They had a better idea of what's good and evil for their life than God did. They thought they'd be better boss. And even this morning we sang, you are God alone, which is a reminder I need every single day, that he knows what he's doing and he has a lot better plan of what's good and evil for my life than I do. So that rebellion needs to be taken care of. A price needs to be paid. Salvation is God forgiving our rebellion, but not just forgiving our rebellion so that we can go to heaven and then sort of go on our own in the flesh. He's calling us into relationship with him so that we can again reflect his glory to 
the world. And I would argue that that is actually the entire book of Ephesians in a nutshell right there. Right there, I have it. The entire book of Ephesians. Now, I want to think a little bit about some of the verses that uh, Brent covered yesterday when we went through Ephesians 1. All right, so I'm going to put them up on the screen. I want you to notice what these verses have in common. So there's Ephesians 1 and verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to the praise of his glorious grace. And then verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1 and verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, what is the goal of salvation in these verses? Yeah, thank you. The goal of salvation is to the praise of the glory, like says it over and over and over in chapter 1. I want you to notice something here, okay? I'm going to try these verses again. He predestined us for adoption to the praise of his glorious grace so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You were created for community. For community. If the end goal of salvation is me going to heaven, why does Paul use the plural so often? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in justification by grace through faith. And I believe that we can know for sure that you have eternal life. And yes, that, that, that we do have the hope of eternal life, that when you die or when Christ comes back, you will be with him in heaven. But that's actually not completely the end goal. You might argue it's a byproduct, a beautiful, amazing byproduct that you could dwell on the rest of your life, absolutely. But it's incomplete, Think about the plural here. God saves individuals for a corporate purpose. God saves individuals for a corporate purpose. That's really, really important. And as Americans, we miss this all the time. And even in our faith tradition, our faith tradition, the Brian Fellowship coming out of Revivalism, which is a good and healthy thing, rightly emphasizing conversion, a beautiful thing, a true thing, a biblical thing, you must be born again. But then we stop if we're not careful. All right, you're born again. Okay, be a good person. We'll see you later. God saves individuals for a corporate purpose. Now, again, I'm going to take you back to Genesis. Let us make man in our own image. That's the living God speaking. It's the living God speaking. And when we put on Christological lenses, New Testament lenses, we see the plural there is loaded that the living God of the universe is one and three at the same time. He, he put it in the Hebrew the original, uh, you know, they didn't see it at first, but as we look back with Christ's glasses, we recognize, ah, this is a hint of the Trinity. Let us make man in our own image. You are created in the image of one who exists eternally in community. 
God exists in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving, delighting in, and glorifying each other. You're created to reflect that, that love, that delight, that glory. If we are not reflecting God's image in community, we're not fully reflecting God's image as he intends, because he's in community. And he wants us to be in community. Now, uh, okay, so it gets really obvious really quickly. Our communities are really broken. All of our local churches are broken. They're, they're led by broken pastors, and they're filled with broken people. Um, and they have elders who are wounded and broken So it gets really messy very quickly, which is why, again, we can get frustrated, but we need to remind ourselves that God exists in community, and he's calling us to live in community as well, and we need the fresh vision of that goal as we wade through the muck and the mire that he calls us to. So, at this point, if you would turn to Ephesians 2, some of you have been there for 10 minutes, you're like, when's he going to get there? So, (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 10 minutes verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and um, I'm going to read it. Uh, There's one word in particular I'm going to read that's, I'm going to translate literally that is not really translated in our northern translations, okay? So uh, verse 1, and you all were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you all once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised. Actually, sorry, I missed that. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you all have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you all have been saved through faith. And this is not the result of you all's own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saves individuals for a corporate purpose. God saves individuals for a corporate purpose. So we don't want to lose either end of that. We don't want to lose the fact that God does save individuals. Yes, you're allowed to call people to salvation, invite them to salvation, absolutely, individually. But don't forget the corporate purpose. So my definition of salvation from earlier, salvation is God forgiving our rebellion, calling us back into relationship with him so that we can again reflect his glory to 
the world. Actually, I have want to improve upon that. Yes, I'm improving upon my own definition, all right? A better definition. Now notice here, salvation is God forgiving our rebellion and calling us back into relationship with him so that we can join with his people in reflecting his glory to the world. We can join with his people in reflecting God's glory to the world. So, working, there we go, verse 7. If you look at verse 7, 2, 7. A purpose statement here. So that in the coming ages, God, he, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Purpose statement. He wants to show the immeasurable riches of his grace to the world through us in Christ Jesus. So is this verse talking about individuals or the church? Is this verse talking about individuals or the church? You don't have to answer that out loud. Later, I'm going to have a, verse, a question for you to answer out loud. This one's not. The answer is both, of course. Both. Now, rightly so. Many of you have taught, I have taught, many of you have preached Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 as a plan of salvation, laying it out for an individual. It's so beautiful, so amazing. And yet, even here, there's something corporate. Something corporate. Let me look at verse 7 again. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We can't lose either element. I do think it's appropriate to teach this as salvation, especially as an evangelistic passage. That's just fine. That's fine. But as we're going to get to a little bit, don't divorce it from the second half of verse of chapter 2. Don't divorce it from the second half of chapter 2. Okay, so let's see if uh, Paul agrees with our definition. First of all, salvation is God forgiving our rebellion and calling us back into relationship with him. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you all who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice the purposes of salvation. We Gentiles, and I'm assuming almost everyone in here, if not everyone in here, we had pagan uh, background Parents, many of your great-great-great-grandparents painted their faces blue and worshipped pagan deities. Mine did too. We were far off from the living God. Far off from the living God. But he calls, he, he offers to forgive our rebellion, but not just give us forgiveness, call us into relationship. Call us into relationship. Christ is forgiving the rebellion of Gentiles and calling us back into relationship with him. Okay, so let's keep going on the definition here. Salvation is God forgiving our rebellion and calling us back into relationship with him so that we can join with his people. All right, let's see if Paul agrees with that. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, is part of the plan of salvation so that we can join with his people? Yes. The result of this salvation is that God is making one new body the church. One new body the church. Beautiful. Beautiful. And we Gentiles who were far off have now been invited near and made part of his new body, the church. It's not just an individualistic thing. God has created this thing to reflect the, this thing. That was a wrong, that was a terrible word. An organism? I don't know. I guess organism's better. Created a new body to reflect who Jesus is to the world. So, again, the end part of a definition. Salvation is God forgiving our rebellion and calling us back into relationship with him so that we can join with his people in reflecting his glory to the world. Verses 19 through 22. So then, you all are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling... Ah, let's go back to verse 22. Sorry, I'm going to try that again. In him you all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amazing, amazing purpose statements here. Look at verse 21 and 22 again. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are a temple, like Peter says, built without hands. What is the purpose of a temple? This is not rhetorical, okay? This is not rhetorical. Some people, a few of you, those who are really extroverted and not in a good mood this morning, go ahead and tell me some of the purposes of a temple. A place of worship. A gathering place. A place where God resides. A place of sacrifice. Hmm. Say it again. Oh, people, yeah. <laughs> I prefer the color of blood, uh, you know, goat blood on my carpet. I don't like that cow blood on my carpet, right? So, yeah, I guess. Man, someone's snarky this morning. You and I both, actually. It makes two of us. So you, go ahead. So it looks good to the community. Well, yeah, there is an absolutely. There's an element in which it's showing to the community something about the God or goddess inside. Right? Good. Hmm. 
a place to where God is, where God dwells, a place where his people come together. That's the church. We together, corporately, the Spirit dwells in us so that we can live together for the praise of his glory. We are a temple built without hands, moving wherever. In China, they won't have buildings, a lot many of them, and yet they're still the temple of the Holy Spirit where believers are growing, are, are meeting together, showing who God is, being encouraged, sacrificing love one another. Yeah. And that's the purpose of your local church as well, to reflect God's glory to the world corporately to reflect God's glory to the world corporately. So, a few things to think about as we uh, close. Keeping the doors open and the programs running is not success. I haven't laid out yet what success... Actually, I have. I just haven't directly said it to you. Ephesians 2 just helped to explain for us what success is, even though it's big and abstract. Just keeping the doors open and keeping the programs running is not success. And after you get beat down for a while, that's all you can keep your eyes on and you consider it. You know what? We had, you know, you, you, you measure in the wrong ways sometimes if you're not careful. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of this, but um, the Custer County Chief is the newspaper of Broken Bow, the Custer County area. And um, I, I get it. I, I receive it, I should say. I am. And um, <laughs> and I read the headlines and sometimes the articles. And uh, every every time, every every year, there's certain events, and I can't remember. I wish I could think of an example off the top of my head. But one of the main words they use in their headlines is um, "rodeo ball" a success. They use the word success over and over and over again. And I'm always like, how do you measure success? What made that a success? And here it was, ready? People showed up. And no one was killed. (laughs) And no one complained. Oh, that's how we measure success if we're not careful. That's how I measure success if I'm not careful. Right? Church was a success. Well, how do you measure that? My first year, people would ask me, how's the church going? And it was my first year. And I would say, ask me in five years. And now I'm almost five years in, and I'm like, oh, dear. (laughs) Because I still don't know how to measure it other than fruit and change lives, and that's just hard to measure. Right? Hard to measure. So we sometimes focus on just keeping the doors open and the programs running. Hmm. Now, uh... A second thing to think about, maintaining a conservative fortress against the onslaught of liberalism is not success. You all giggled very nervously. (laughs) Maintaining a conservative fortress against the onslaught of liberalism is not success. It's what the Pharisees did. Am I for conservative theology? Yes, but it needs to be a healthy byproduct of keeping our eyes on Christ. If we're not careful, we're measuring in the wrong ways. If, if I come and I hear you talk more about your opponents than you do about Christ, we've got a problem. 
Now, you need to know, I guess, who your opponents are, I suppose. And notice I didn't use the word enemies. Those who disagree with you, you need to know who they are, and you need to know what they, they talk about, what they teach you. You even need to know how they infect your thinking if you're not careful. But it makes, okay, so earlier I said that uh, there's no good stories without a conflict. So a really easy way to, to have conflict and, and tension in your sermon is to talk about your opponents a lot. Am I right? It's us versus them. So I can give you all the five groups who disagree with this sermon I'm about to give. And that's not bad to do. Sometimes you need to do that. They need to know what the people are teaching. But if you're doing that all the time, it's, it's maintaining a conservative fortress against the onslaught of liberalism. And that's not what God calls us to. Your church exists, and I'm going to quote Paul here twice. Your church exists for the praise of God's glory, so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And it's messy. Oh, and yet, should we not also be quick to repent because that shows the praise of God's glory that he accepts us, jars of clay, people with, like I said, hearts like cats that need to be herded, And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And his Holy Spirit, when we walk in repentance and surrender and faith, begins to change us to look more and more like him. That's what we're called to do. That way Jesus gets the glory. That way Jesus gets the glory. That's what we're called to do as a people. Your church exists for the praise of God's glory so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, how gracious you are to me. I thank you for that. How gracious you are to us as a people and patient and long-suffering. We have um, wandered time and again Individually, we have wandered time and again corporately and even wandered as a fellowship at times, and yet you're so patient with us. Help us to hear the shepherd's voice. Help us to get on paths of righteousness so that your name gets the glory. As we listen for the shepherd's voice leading us individually, leading us corporately in our local bodies, and yes, Lord, leading us as a fellowship to hear your voice where you're calling us to go and help us to take the steps of faith to follow so that you show your glory in a people set apart for yourself. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.